welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. Recorded at the PW offices in New York City, I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and co-editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of the Comics Feed at comicsbeat.com. And you can find us on Twitter at, at PW Comics World. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us online on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to More to Come on iTunes and on Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld. All right, this week on More to Come, Dark Horse Investment and Mo Money in Comics, um, Batman's Junk, Part 25, uh, Grant Morrison's Green Lantern, uh, Disney uh, Streaming in the News, and PW's best books of 2018, including, of course, the best graphic novels and the best graphic novels for young readers. So, let's get right to it. Dark Horse, uh, new, not only investment, and investment and equity stake in Dark Horse. Yeah, well, it seems that Dark Horse has sold a majority ownership to a Chinese company about which nobody knows anything. That's true. Well, I mean, it wouldn't <laughs> be the first time in comics, would it? No, no, it wouldn't. Uh, How does it usually end, guys? Huh? How does that usually end, guys? You know, I don't think we're quite sure yet because there's a lot of extant uh, investment going on well, throughout well, the comics actually, world. You know, listen, like, and we'll just tie in this the second part right now because this is the main question. You know, there was a very interesting piece other Rob Salkowitz, friend of the podcast, wrote for ICV2 this week that was talking about, um, uh, it's called Who's Writing the Checks for the Golden Age of Genre Entertainment? And he just points out something we've been talking about a few times here, but there's just money flowing yeah. into this industry right now. Absolutely. You know? Uh, and, you know, people who I thought would have pulled out a long time ago haven't done it because, you know, how do you make a large fortune, a small fortune in comics? You start with a large fortune. But, um, you know, Valiant has, you know, Valiant is always at pains to note that, uh, their chairman is partners with a Chinese company, but they don't have Chinese money, which I, I don't, uh, yeah. yeah, whatever. How does that work? Yeah, whatever. Okay. But anyway, they have a partner whose money is Chinese. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Even though he's not Chinese, there his money is Chinese. So make of that what you will. But yeah, Dark Horse uh, has gone and done it. You know, Mike Richardson uh, pulled the trigger and reached out to a bunch of journalists, yourself, myself, I guess, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, talked a little bit yeah. about the deal. And he said he's not going anywhere. Yeah, he, he, as he says, or has said in various ways, he maintains a, a nice chunk of the company. Um, clearly, though he won't actually say so, uh, it, it's no longer a majority ownership. Uh, right. Um, and the rumor, and that's about all we can claim it to be, is that there's somewhere near $20 million past hand, which of course is laughably low. Well, I, you know, that's, that when I heard that number, I was like, really? That would mean that yeah. Dark Horse was valued at $39 million, which, <laughs> which seems pretty low. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't know, but you know, have you looked at their numbers? Uh, no, I have not looked at their numbers. In. <coughs> Maybe we're vastly and over. It's a private company in it, so I'm, I'm not sure what kind of numbers are out there. Right. But, you know, you can look at what is estimated yeah, to make right, every yeah. year. So. Uh, yeah, and I, I really don't know what it's what what the basic numbers are. But really, for a company of its standing, uh, with the kind of properties that it has, backlist, it, it, that seems a bit of a low valuation. Yes, right? it does. And, you know, I'm guessing. 
Right. We're just, we're just guessing. guessing. We're just guessing. It just doesn't seem like that much money, especially since, you know, Bill Jemis, what did he get already? Five million dollars? <laughs> That's like, right. Yeah. With no for basically nothing. Yeah. With no <laughs> So, so, um, yeah, but, uh, well, you know, you talked about the backlist, and this is what there was a lot of chatter about when this was talked about. This is a pretty major thing. I think this is going to have major repercussions down the road, hmm. actually, because it really does mean that Dark Horse has changed hands. You know? Oh, yeah. And, um, the guy, his name was, what is his name? Stanley Chung. Oh, you know, I don't have my stuff yeah. in front of me, <clears throat> uh, but I believe it is Chung. His company is Vanguard Visionary Associates. Right. Uh, and he's a former, uh, head of, uh, Disney in Greater China. Right. Um, uh, so he's obviously, and then of course, a major part of this deal is to, um, uh, Raise the level of dark horse recognition in the Chinese market, which of course right. uh, that alone none. would make the company much worth much more. Uh, well, uh, let's you know, let's go to the let's go to the videotape or let, let's dig into this just a yeah. tiny bit. I mm-hmm. mean, we literally don't know anything about this guy except yeah, that he worked for Disney yeah. and he speaks fluent English. Yeah, okay, which is and Mandarin and Cantonese. Yeah. So that's really if you're going to do business in China, that's probably the uh, you know the minimum. Uh, minimum requirements. You know, uh, Dark Horse, uh, everybody's like, oh, they have a great backlist. They do. Uh, they also don't have as many properties as you might think. Because uh, they lost a whole bunch of them. But those were licensed properties. Yeah, that is true. When you talk about like, things that they own, mm-hmm. uh, you know, their number, their most significant titles like Sin City and Hellboy, they don't own. They're yeah. creator owned. Mm-hmm. So, but obviously they have the, the publishing rights to these, which yeah. are, And you know, they may dollars. have some deals as far as participation, in and they, they, and and um, and I I can't properties. name them off the top of my head honestly, but Dark Horse does have some company-owned pro- um, properties as well, uh, and I assume their movies, the movies that they have done in the past, uh, and whatever they may be working on now or hoping to work on now, will involve these. Right, and uh, they have a couple things coming up. They have the Umbrella Academy, right, Umbrella Academy. show coming mm-hmm. up. I believe it's on Netflix. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to keep track of all the TV shows. <laughs> That's that true, because That's there's so many. Uh, and they also have... Uh, I'm trying to see what yeah, else. I don't uh, have his Article in front. Yeah, of I, I have your article. In front. His name is Stanley Chung, so mm. I was correct about that. Because uh, I think I mentioned a bunch of the properties that they own. Yeah. In the story. Uh, yeah, Hellboy. Well, Hellboy, Sin City. They don't own. They no, publish they don't own the Mask, that. Umbrella Academy. I'm not sure what they're. Yeah, I'm not sure what the relationship uh, is. The relationship there is Resident Alien. I think that's another one that they. That's I, a web comic, isn't it? Um, I'm not sure. I thought they owned that, but I could be wrong. Well, and you know, maybe some of these things that they've produced but don't own. They may have some rights sharing deal going yes. with. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. They may have indeed the, the movie development rights, so. Or partial. Yeah. Participation yeah. or, or something sure. that's worth money. But now what they do have <coughs> right now is a lot of books that are bestsellers. They're doing these video game yes, art, art books that have been insanely successful, including the mostly the, the ones for Legend of Zelda, which yes. have sold a good bajillion yes. copies. And, uh, but you know, I just want to point out again, that they don't own Zelda. I mean, these are yeah, like, they're yeah, these are licenses. licenses. Yes. But, but that doesn't mean it's a, so. I, again, twenty million dollars seems incredibly low. I'm just also trying to say that you know what is there at Dark Horse is not always as apparent. But I will say this: like you got to give Mike Richardson huge props. He's been ahead of every trend in comics. Yeah, they he were has. publishing manga long before anyone believed it could be profitable. 
Uh, he was very early on the media bandwagon. He was developing was, movies was something but, called as the, an independent the publishing house. And the yes. Mask was a real like mm-hmm. outlier shocker in the nineties, but it's being based on this obscure comic, being a very successful movie that launched yeah. Jim Carrey into stardom, in case you weren't there. Uh, and also getting into merchandise yeah. and also into retailing. They also own a chain of stores, mm-hmm. the thing from another world. So, and also into quality licensing. Yes. Because absolutely. a lot of the licensed book before Dar- books before Dark Horse got into it were, how should we put this cheesy? Yes. For example, right now, Marvel's licensed books are very good. But right. if you go and look back at 80s Marvel licensed books, they are not their best work. They were not. And, and, uh, Dark Horse really upped the game so much. Absolutely. And, um, you know, they're a quality outfit and, uh, they put out quality products, period, yeah. at the end. And, you know, we get so many great graphic novels from them. They do have a great backlist. They have a great library program. They have a great graphic novel program. And, um, and so- with their creator-owned pro- uh, they have long relationships with their creator-owned projects. Yes, long and close yes. relationships with, with so, Nola and all the rest, yeah. So, yeah, a $20 million seems very low. Yeah, it just, uh, yeah, it yeah, just seems, it just seems very low. Odd. Yes, it seems very odd. Now, uh, and it may, it may not be right. Yes. And we're, that's just, we're saying it's a rumor. <laughs> that's kind of we're just saying, yes. we're saying we hope it's, it's a rumor. It's Dead. a low. Now, there's one thing about Dark Horse that a lot of people talk about in Barkhand, and that is that it has a very large overhead because it has a very large staff. I believe Dark Horse says we're at 100 employees, hmm. which is really a lot for... Hmm. And, and that's an interesting point because a couple of years ago when they switched their distribution to um, Penguin Random House Services, mm-hmm. um, they increased their uh, their employees. They mm-hmm. added yes, a lot of employees. Yes, yes, yes. Because uh, I did an interview with Richardson at that time. So uh, that's interesting. I don't know. I don't know their exact number um, mm-hmm. and how it relates to the revenues, but um, yeah, that that's. That's an interesting point. Right. It is an interesting point. So I would be, uh, and you know, Calvin, have you heard these rumors over the years about Dark Horse being on the? I mean, that Richardson has been seeking about. I have to heard that. Uh, I mean, this has been an open rumor right. constantly right. for about the last four or five years. Yeah, I would say it's been a very, very common you know, rumor. certainly yeah. not the first time. So you know, and he said that these this deal went back a couple of years when they first just yeah. started talking, and then it became. Like, here's the deal that's going to get us bigger exposure to the Asian market, which everybody wants to get into. Obviously, it's huge. And, you know, uh, Richardson has his name as the executive producer on a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. If you check out his IMDb page, I think you'll be surprised to see some of the films that he has. Because yeah. uh, he's a writer as well. Let I mean, he's, he's been published yeah. by Dark Horse. Well, I'm going I'm to look it up. It's going to take me a second here. So, uh, <coughs> I should have, I should have, uh, you know, called it up. Uh, right away. But um, anyway, I, I mean, there is, uh, you know, he's a very savvy guy there, just well, as far as that goes. Well, I think the thread here, uh, I mean, look, it, it, a, a bunch of comic book companies aren't the only kind of companies that want uh, Chinese exposure, that are, are interested in Chinese money, uh, or, or, or looking for, in, get a, a toehold in the Chinese market in any way they can. Right. So that's kind of a sign of the times. Um you you might be considered uh, negligent uh, to your duties as an owner if you weren't trying to get your properties into China in one Absolutely. way or another. Absolutely, and you know the bottom line is to get it going. Uh, you know, 
to survive in this world, you need more money. As we're yeah. going to get to in one second. You know, I'm not seeing the one. There's one that, oh, The Legend of Tarzan. He actually has the exact producer credit on. Because the Dark Horse was involved with the Tarzan license, I guess, you know. But, yeah, you know, Hellboy, 30 Days of Night. That's what awesome. People were surprised by AVP, Alien vs. Predator. It's another one. Yeah. Mystery Men, remember that? Oh, yeah. Time Cop. Really? Time Cop. Yeah. So, yeah, Mike's done a lot. Now, this all ties in with another piece by Rob Salkowitz, like I was saying, mm-hmm. that was in ICB2. Uh, and we kind of segued away from it. But, um, you know, why is all this money flowing into comics? Because there's so much money looking for some place to flow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think the more obvious answer, and the answer that I'm sure they sell to their stockholders and their co-workers is well you know comic based stuff has been so successful in licensing and movies and television you know who knows maybe you'll strike gold maybe you'll you'll find the next <clears throat> big thing coming from a small comic right but as discussed in the article some of it is just that comics have something of a cool factor yeah that it's something that has some cultural cachet that you can buy into for relatively little. And then it you can use it to make your company's image look better. Yeah. And you might enjoy it, too. Right. As, because, you know, some of the, say, finance geeks or tech geeks who become incredibly wealthy are regular geeks, too. As witness something that happened with recently with Elon Musk on Twitter. <laughs> so one night... Elon Musk was bored and started off a chain of Twitter posts, starting with one that said, I heart anime. It was a little heart symbol. Yeah. And uh, went on to say things like he owns a chibi Wolverine figure and basically various different otaku type stuff. And Twitter shut his feed down because they thought he was hacked by some random anime loving hacker trying to make Elon Musk look silly. But Elon Musk got back to them and then got back to his Twitter followers saying, no, no, that was me. I'm just a geek. (laughs) And I can see him now sitting at home, watching anime, smoking a big blunt, um, you know, and, you know, thinking about building rockets. I mean, you know, these things are not as disconnected as you might think. (laughs) Science fiction has a long history of teaching innovators to think big. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, to to get back to... You know, maybe yeah. Elon Musk will start a comics company. Anything can happen right now. <laughs> or mean, he might I mean, invest in one. Yeah, I mean, we're certainly just seeing all this investment. And, uh, you know, there's a bunch of companies where we keep saying, you know, how are they keeping going? But it's like people keep pumping money people into it. Keep, yeah. Because literally they have, according to Rob's article, because they have big giant piles of money sitting there and they don't have room to move in yeah. their house. Yeah. So they might as well just put the money somewhere and have unlike as Kate says, they might have the geek cred to be cool and publish comics. Now And we have to remember also, investment in comics companies in a relationship with the amounts of funds that these companies have and what they're usually invested in, it's a fairly low level it's of exposure. A very low level. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, we're laughing at how much little money twenty million dollars <laughs> yeah, is, I but know. you know, but people do. They sure. have twenty million dollars sitting around. And that's frankly a highball for a lot of these investments. A lot of these are smaller companies where a lot 
less than that is invested, which is still huge for the company. But for the investor, it's probably pocket change. Yeah. Oh, a couple hundred thousand dollars here or there. Who cares? Well, it's it's almost like why are these empty storefronts here in New York? It's because they make more money not renting them out. (laughs) Well, yeah. Uh, but there's another thing we need to bring. I mean, it's interesting. Uh, one of the things Rob article points to, while there is growth in this category in comics and certainly in graphic mm-hmm. novels and certainly in kids' graphic novels, um, uh, th- 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 and it makes sense in many ways to put some money in that. But we're seeing the money being spent across a broad way of content creation that's, uh, that we'll have to see. I mean, obviously, a lot of this has to do with movies and TV. Right. There's a lot of investment around that because everyone thinks that this is the next big HBO, Hulu, Netflix, Disney, whatever you want to, you know, whatever platform you want to use, Apple or Amazon. And if it's not a superhero show. comic, they might be right because we talk about the things that are, are obvious comics crossovers, but a whole bunch of movies you wouldn't even think are based on some graphic novel somewhere. Sure. That's not so genre obvious. Right. And, you know, just to kind of segue a little bit into some other kind of businessy news that was this week, uh, you know, another company that's been investing a lot of money in the U.S. market is Blind Webtoon. Our yes, Webtoon so, yes. Is known, yes. Which is owned by Naver, the Google of Korea. And Naver's a huge billion-dollar company, multi-billion dollar company. Now, they expanded a couple years ago into different territories, including Japan, China, <clears throat> and the United States. The United States Arm is run by a fellow named Tom Akel, a friend of the podcast, and he was let go this week. Hmm. And um, so that's sort of kind of interesting. I just did a panel with him. Yeah. (laughs) One thing I saw, some fan criticism. Yes. And I don't know the nationality of these fans. Some people were saying, well, I'm not surprised because I don't think he was promoting the Korean material heavy enough. Yeah, and you know what? I think that's a really interesting point. Uh, I mean, I have, I don't know what's going on at Webtoon. Um, but it could be that maybe they wanted a bigger audience for the Korean stuff, and they felt like he wasn't leaning heavily enough on that. Right. Well, just to, to put that into perspective is that he was definitely, they were publishing a lot of American creators. Yeah. And they had yeah. a deal with Stan Lee, in fact. Uh, you know, they had stuff from Mark Silvestri. They had, yeah. uh, you know, Dean Haskell had his whole Brooklyn mm-hmm. And right now there's a and took it to print. There's a, a comic that's getting some attention called the, uh, Outrage by mm-hmm. Fabian Nicieza and Riley Brown and it, Colleen Doran and Warren Ellis just yeah. launched very long time in the making mm-hmm. web comic. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, Occidental creators on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, Kate, um, I think that comment is. Probably on the money. I think this American content might be a little more expensive and maybe... Well, maybe it's more expensive or maybe it's that they were hoping to find new markets for their pre-existing Korean creators and maybe they felt not enough weight was being put behind that. Right, 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 exactly. Well, yeah, you know, listen, I'll tell you, Tom ran a... um, He ran a free spending ship. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't know did you, if you went to the Webtoons party. Mm. Did you go to... I didn't know. No. I, I didn't get a chance to go to it. Well, I mean, their San Diego party was one of those rooftop bashes. It was pretty uh, impressive, okay? And the one in New York was also on a rooftop in New York. And yeah. those are super expensive. Anyways, incredible party. Yeah. Uh, you know, and they were... There was definitely... There's a lot of Webtoons merch, and uh, they had big booths at all the shows. So they were definitely... Spending. They were definitely spending to make a splash in this market, and uh, I guess maybe they're retrenching that uh, effort. 
And I'm going to bring this up, and I'm going to, I'm bringing this up purely on my effort because I don't want you know the uh, involve Heidi in this. But because Lion Forge is a major a major force on the investment yes. landscape right now, um, and you know they're they're funneling uh, a level of publishing we haven't seen in a long time for a startup. So just this they. they this is just a really interesting time. Right. Uh, I do think most of the Lion Forge investment makes sense mm-hmm. in ways that some of this, these others don't. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not always sure uh, if the Catalyst Prime world makes sense, but uh, the trade book publishing makes it's sense children's books. in children's books. Um, and they have a really impressive lineup of works coming down the, the thing as well as original works. So um, we're in a special time right now. Um yeah, but I do wonder if some geek could make a lot of money as an investment, a, a uh, comics investment advisor to like talk to these different uh, people who want to spend, uh, you know, $500,000 on a, a mini press on which one of these are a sound investment <laughs> and which of these are, are maybe, maybe not your, your best well, use of cash. You know, I want to tell you, this has never worked. I mean, I've said this many times before, and I've mentioned it before. I think 30 days of the night is the only... Well, it happened before. I should do a new study. Let me put it that way. But I can't think of any of these companies that have really hit it big off of their media participation. Yeah, I mean... Uh, yeah, well, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. I mean... Uh, I what mean, about Walking At Dead? the time, those things were pretty big. Uh, absolutely. But um, I will say that that's just an image comic, you know? Yeah. Those books are creator-owned. Image doesn't actually make that much money out of uh, The Walking Dead, except that Robert yeah. Kirkman has... Uh, you know what? He has so much money sitting around that he has to do something with it. And he's... Uh, you know, I won't hear any... I won't hear anything bad about Robert Kirkman giving back to the industry because he's yeah. definitely helped with the image quite a bit, and that is very praiseworthy. So yeah, uh, but, I mean, and he continues to launch properties mm-hmm. that just boom, you know, yep. like just in the direct market, for instance, right? Or essentially, right. Um, that's correct. Uh, anyway, so uh, well, listen, there's definitely more to come on that. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just kind of amazing. I don't think anybody really, really, really expects to get their money back on this, uh, you know. Well, I think some people might get their money back, but they're not going to make a large profit. Yes. Let's put it that way. Yes, I think a- you can definitely have a little company that, that continues to do what it should do and, and keeps the lights on and maybe gives you a small profit at the end of the year, but you're not going to do gangbusters. Yeah. And, you know, listen, if Mike Richardson did make $20 million, more power to him. I'm yeah. He deserves it. He deserves it. Yeah. He's definitely deserved it. So, you know, good for him. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, talking about money, uh, there's more money <laughs> uh, elsewhere, other things, more money, more problems, more money, more problems. Uh, you know, Batman's junk just won't go away. <laughs> yeah, and, apparently Well, not. and all the repercussions yeah, there apparently are. Apparently not. Yes. But, you know, listen, I know that we're joking about, uh, you know, Batman's junk and Batman doomed, but sometimes it just is one little incident that tips things over into a very strange place. And it, this is definitely what's happened there. We've been talking about this since New York Comic Con and before. Uh, and just, you know, internal pressures at Warner Brothers in the wake of uh, this uh, ill-advised exposure of Batman and Batman. So to speak. Right. (laughs) Uh, Well, so another story came out that was, uh, you know, oh, it's a story that I wrote. Well, there you go. Anyway, um, uh, again, our friends at ICV2, you know, they've been on fire, but um, they interviewed Jim Lee and Dan DiDio at Sandy, I guess at New York Comic Con, pardon Mm -hmm. me, and... um, 
you know, did Jim and Dan kind of were saying, uh, talking about their new boss, uh, who is, uh, named, uh, Pam Lifford, and she did not like the bat junk, and, uh, uh, Dan Dio said, she's passionate about understanding the characters, making sure that we expand awareness of them. She's very much built for the franchise business, the brand part of the business. Because of that, we want to make sure that the tonality, the voice of our books is a sensibility that seems to match what people's expectations are, which is something we should be doing anyway in our comics. Well, that could mean I mean, a lot of different things. Yes, it could. But, uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I'll, look. <laughs> there's a difference between what we all think that that do. I mean, this was the, I mean, this, ex, this exposure of Batman, it was really one of the stupidest uh, editorial uh, uh, I we've seen in a long time. Uh, you know, all of these, I think we all have to agree here. Uh, American comic book heroes have to be recreated, uh, you know, about every 10 to 15 years well, to some extent. That doesn't mean destroying their, their core characterness or brand, but it does mean changing the way they deal with the world almost in every case. Well, you know, we, uh, well, I was just gonna say, we, we're gonna talk a little bit, uh, a little bit about Green Lantern just actually, cause you know, he did just kind of get this relaunch, but, uh, you know, Jim Lee also kind of buys in on this in, in his quotes. And I, you know, I know that we're looking very, very closely at these, these quotes, but, uh, you know, we call it the criminology. Crum- Just looking at a very co- ho- global holistic point of view and understanding the ex- that experience, uh, a little kid that buys an action figure, that's what they bond or embrace the un- DC universe. But that experience is crucial to growing our fan base and growing the business. Now, I want to point out that Pam Lefford comes from Disney. And at Disney, it really is all about of the course. characters staying eternal. Of course. Yes. Very different than what you're talking about. Absolutely. Would Bob Kane recognize Batman today? I don't Maybe. know. Maybe. Kate, what but, were you going to say? But what I was going to say is there's definitely room between Mickey Mouse, who has become completely fossilized, and um, sticking at least quasi to whatever is the appealing aspect <sighs> of a major character like Superman or Batman. Yes. Um, I think, for example, the, when you, for example, want, like, super edgy Superman, like, a lot of people are going to bounce off that, because edgy's not what they're looking for from Superman. And you might take Superman in a lot of different directions, but if you take him in a direction that doesn't really play to his strengths, it's not going to work as well. Whereas you can go with super edgy Batman, because... Batman's already kind of edgy. Yeah, and that's that's a good point. I mean, really, there are things you can do with Batman that you can't do with Superman. Right. You know, I said this last time. I'm sure we talked about Batman's jump. It's like if Frank Miller had done this, everyone would be thinking it was amazing. Okay? Because he knows you don't just drop the bomb on the... You don't just drop Batman's pants for no reason. (laughs) And really, this was such a nothing burger. That's the thing. Well, it really is. Yeah, and you know, so... Uh, now I've been getting. I'm here, boy. I, I the, the rumors just won't stop. I've been getting, uh, some, you know, blind items in my email that says that there is still war in between uh, at Warner Brothers, and they are wondering if if Dan DiDio is going to survive. And Kate, I wish you could see Kate right now. Uh, and they're also a little surprised that Jim Lee is being sent out to kind of, you know, uh, calm the waters. Calm, well, not calm the waters. Actually, he's sort of like. Not coming to the water. You know, he's, he's, you know, 
everybody's like, well, Dan might be gone, but Jim Lee will always be the the diplomat or whatever. So I don't I don't know. It's it's it sounds like there's still some unrest there going on. Mm-hmm. I, I need to I need to talk to my sources a bit more. And find I out. mean, I I can see where that incident would make uh, people think. I mean, who is running the store here when when your lead character can uh, you can let a book go out that's highly publicized? That has this glaring stupidity. Well, you know, Jim Lee came out and said it was a printing error. It is not a printing error. Yeah. Well. So I, that's, I think that's <laughs> what they were talking about where, uh, you know, I mean, don't lie. I mean, I guess that the truth but, is a completely mutable thing well, right now anyway. I, so. I, I think that's also a sign of bad corporate governance what? is that if, if say something like that happens under your watch, Instead of just saying, I'm sorry, it was an error to like come up with some official line you have to give about how, oh, it was a printing error, which is very transparently not true, like that itself is a sign of bad leadership. Right. Mm-hmm. That's right. But let's not throw these, I mean, I, like I said, I, I do have to make a distinction between the kind of characters we're talking about. But I do think that uh, we must be careful. Uh, comics do need to be rejiggered yes. to some degree for a new generation of readers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just don't see even Superman as being Mickey Mouse. No. Uh, I mean, even Superman has gone through well, some look, dramatic I'll just, changes. I'll say this. Like, if Pam Lifford thinks that, that these three characters can be, like, like you know, Mickey Mouse, I mean, Mickey Mouse is actually a troubling character for Disney because they can't do anything with them. You know, yeah. they can slap them on endless merchandise for they very can't use small them. children. Yeah. Very small children. They and, can't use them. Yeah. And you know what? Batman has been many different things to many different people. Yeah. Like Dark Knight by Frank Muller and Batman the Animated Series by Paul Diddy and Bruce Tim have, yeah. you know, and then along came uh, also, by the way, Tim Burton Batman. Uh, yeah. Coexisted peacefully together for yes. 30 years. And then along came Christopher Nolan. Yeah, so. but I mean, but I think you can definitely draw a line between all these very successful different takes on Batman and what happens when, say, you do what Marvel did with... Uh, Captain America when they did the whole Captain America Hydra thing that really didn't sell in the long run and really hurt their sales for, right. for like a well, year. That's a, that's a very so, good point. So you're know, taking it too far yeah. and it takes a while to bounce back from that. And then, but I will say this. The reason that the whole Secret Empire storyline was such a disaster is that they did not read the room to use the new yes, word no. that is yeah. absolutely perfect and made for this. Because obviously the story was written thinking that Hillary would win. But when she didn't win an actual Nazis and white supremacists yeah. and running the country, it just didn't seem as fun. Yeah. Well, I think that even had Hillary won, it would not have gone nearly as wonderfully as they thought it would. I, I think it was kind of a tone-deaf idea. I, I agree with that. I agree with that. But I'm also saying, like, I can understand in a world where Hillary, you know... Yeah, it might have been slightly less tone-deaf. It would be slightly less tone-deaf. Yeah. Right. And, and also, but still stupid. But it also... It's, it's, it's also... Even when Secret Empire was, you know, dreamed up three years ago, the world was very different, okay? And I mean, I, I don't, listen, I don't, uh, I'm not going to deny those who just say it never, ever, ever should have been done, but, you know, turning Cap into Hydra has been done many, many yeah. times before. Right, yeah. but it's it's one thing to do that for a short storyline, and it's another turn, thing to turn it into your six-month-long right. mega project. And that's mega the project. issue, is that it seemed to never end. Right. <laughs> it just sort of metastasized, took over other books, made other characters yeah. randomly evil. It was just a big pile of it, bad that people it, didn't enjoy reading. Yeah. It was tone deaf as hell. Absolutely. And so, so that kind of tone deafness, or, you know, the tone deafness of random bat junk, is the kind of thing I think that maybe she's worried about. Yeah, and you know, I don't know that, that, you know, I was talking today about, um, 
Or, you know, I've done so many podcasts in the past week. I don't mean to put you guys, you know, say I'm cheating on you guys, but, but I've become a very popular podcast guest. So I was on a podcast talking about Vertigo, or my time at Vertigo. But, uh, you know, one thing I was we were talking about Karen Berger, and, uh, you know, I think Karen is a great editor, period, the end, one of the great editors. I think one of the things that she's got her finger on is how readers will react to work, mm, you know? Yes. She definitely, now, certain readers, not all readers, yeah. but she yeah. certainly had the golden touch for a long time about stuff, material that was really good mm-hmm. and people were going to react to, and to make it stronger, to make them react to it more. And, you know, I think it happens when you are, um, I mean, you have to stay in touch. How do you yes. leave the room? And I, I just... It just, I'm not, I'm not sure that Dan DiDio and Jim Lee are reading the room very well. I don't think that they're necessarily in touch with. Well, I, you know what? I will say this. I'm going to jump in just for a second because I actually, you know, I think the direction that DC has been doing in many ways, certainly as far as the book trade, is smart and absolutely. good. And oh yeah, idea. absolutely. Uh, I think Black Label is a great idea and it's, and it's worth it. It's a worthy experiment. Um, they just made a really boneheaded mistake yeah. in this particular incident. Yeah, they kicked it off with a big mistake. Yeah. Well, and also, I'm going to say this is probably the one person in this room who's never met him. So I can just strictly speak of his press. <laughs> I can strictly speak of his press presence. Mm-hmm. Dan DiDio has always struck me as a walking PR time bomb. <laughs> that he's somebody who has believes that all publicity is good publicity. Right. And I believe he's wrong. Well, you are yeah. right. You are right. But, you know, uh, he has Jim Lee, who's like the most beloved uh, yes, exactly. comic book executive. But there's a limit to what Jim Lee can fix. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, let, I, I didn't want to bring up Green Lantern, uh, mm-hmm. or rather the Green Lantern, because we talked, you know, this was announced with great fanfare, I guess a year ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, that Grant Morrison has written all the great superheroes, yeah. even Wonder Woman, although he struggled. He struggled. He struggled with yeah, it. Yeah, that might have been one of the weaker uh, versions of that. And, um, <clears throat> and so, you know, he's had, uh, you know, defining runs on Justice League uh, and on Superman, you know, um, the action comics and, um, you know, All-Star Superman, uh, classic. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's written Batman. He defined Batman. He gave Batman a son. And anyway, he, there's Batman nothing. already had a son. I know. But anyway, he's given even more children. He gave him more kids. He gave him more kids. But, uh, there is, you know, there's nothing that Grant Morrison has done except Green Lantern. So we quickly, quickly sat down and read this comic before we went on the air. And I will say, first off, it is very sad that we even think we could quickly, you know, uh, span through the pages here of this book, which is drawn by Liam Sharp. But what are our, he's gotten really good reviews. A lot of people are really impressed by this book. And, uh, you know, Kate's making a shrug. It, it's very much a first issue. And I will fully admit that I am one of those people who often has, is kind of wait and see on first issues. Like, there have been some really amazing ones that drew me in. Like that, like, occasionally, occasionally, very rarely. Like, Wicked and Divine, first issue, bam, I was right there. But, you know, sometimes because they pace for trade or sometimes because they just don't start quick, um, first issues kind of make me go, okay, what's the point? What's the point? What's the point? And so, so far, what I really got from this was mostly a matter of style. I didn't, I don't really, I'm holding off on saying anything about the plot because I don't really know yet. Right. But style-wise, I think it was very interesting and I have 
some mixed feelings. Yeah. Well, I am uh, on the record. I can't stand Green Lantern. I uh, never have. Never. Well, I will say never will. Uh, but I love Grant Morrison. But do I hate it? Do I love it? Do I hate it? Do I love it? I'm so torn. It's, it's like the you know the guy in the Star Trek episode. I'm torn apart. Mm. Uh, you know, the artist is Liam Sharp, and uh, he was telling me at San Diego that he was doing the best work of his career. You know, everyone always says that. It's like, I'm doing a fill-in issue on Red Hood and the Outlaws, and it's the best work of my career. Uh, anyway, this is the best work of Liam Sharp's career. It's a really giant leap forward for him, I will say. Just like I, he, yeah, the, art, the art, the line art is amazing. Like you know, here. I will say this. As someone who's never been into Green Lantern, just spending the five, six minutes that it took to flip <laughs> through this book before one of those podcasts... There was a lot of passion in this book that really drew me in. Yeah, I would say that the art is top notch. I would say the coloring is a well, little busy. It's a nineties co- comic. Yeah, it's made to be a nineties comic. Yeah, but I think they went a little too authentic on that uh-huh, yeah. because there's there's a certain problem that some nineties comics had where if they had like a page crammed full of detail, that the coloring was all of pretty much the same intensity. So it made it a little visually harder to parse. And they did that here. It was yeah. all the same level of, of like, eye-invading busyness yeah. with the coloring, which made some of the beautiful line work and detail yeah. kind of a little harder to appreciate until you looked at it more closely. I think it's interesting that they were trying to have, to give this idea of this kind of, you know... Uh, overstuffed universe of the Green Lanterns. It's really yeah. busy, busy but, place. But there's I, certainly a reason for why they did. You know, it. No, I, I love there. the overstuffed quality, but I think, like I've seen, I've seen other coloring styles, like the kind that's been was, I would say, pioneered in Sandman toward the end, where you can have an incredibly busy page, but if you hit the intensity, you vary the intensity levels enough, you. You can have something incredibly beautiful and incredibly detailed at the same time right. and very yeah, easily yeah, readable. Yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, this coloring job is not that. Yeah, I, I well, agree. I'll just say that. I, you know what? I, uh, I, I haven't really read Green Lantern in a long time. I find Green Lantern now completely baffling. I go back to Gil Kane. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that, I, I'm intrigued by the return to Hal Jordan, who seems to be completely gone from the Green Lantern universe, I know, you know, but I'm an old fart. I mean, to, you know. He's still around. Yeah, I know he's around, but there's so many. I mean, I look, I like the newest. Yeah, yeah, there's a black Green Lantern. I like that, you know, uh, with John Stewart and all the rest. That's great. Uh, women, I mean, it's interesting. The whole core is now, uh, but it's bewildering to me to actually read. So I don't really pay a lot of attention to it. But, you know, Grant Morrison, obviously, if he's doing something, you're going to pay attention to it. There is a sly and sort of... Uh, uh, dark humor uh, underlying this new uh, new adventure, and I do like Liam Sharp's work, and and it is kind of dazzling in some some instances. The color does seem a little sort of subdued in how they use it, but um, you know, I might even read issue number two. Uh, well, but let's not make it sound too high flown because there's also a lot of snot jokes. There are snot jokes. I mean, it's featuring not a character yeah. named Floozle's yes. Flam. Yes, it's out of Floozle's Flam <laughs> is an alien who has a lot of flam. Yeah. Well, you know, I think Green Lantern. One of the reasons why I never liked Green Lantern was, first off, uh, he has no backstory that has any com- compelling elements whatsoever and also the book has always seemed to to um veer between taking itself way too seriously 
and then this kind of over the top stuff like Guy Gardner or these characters who are kind of like, you know, Larflees and all these like kind of crazy characters, which I don't even know who they are. I only hear people talking about Guy Gardner and Larflees. I really can't. Guy Gardner that. dates back to your day in comics. Guy Gardner was huge in the 80s. It's still my day. I, <laughs> Kate, I never read DC Comics when I was reading Superhero Comics. But, but you were, you were, I read but, but, Teen Ends and that was it. Okay, well... That's the only book I read of DC is I couldn't stand the rest. I mean, I, I don't think it's well, not your day in, in comics really in general. I just meant, uh, no, I know what you meant your day oh, in oh, superhero. Oh, right. I, I meant, I meant your day in superhero comics because you've said, oh, I, I'm, I'm so much beyond them now. So I, you know, was thinking, well, well there must have been a time when you weren't beyond them um, and when, that was then. And I've won with the universe now, so. Good yeah. for you. Anyway, yeah. well, you know, listen, I'm speaking of Grant Morrison, just uh, to kind of bring us back to the money, uh, you know, Grant Morrison, again, I'm a Morrison fangirl, period. I mean, you must have figured that out by now. Uh, and he finally got his TV deal. You know, everybody's been getting them. Robert Kirkman and Amazon and Mark Miller, a former Morrison partner, now mm-hmm. they don't speak, at that Netflix. Is common. And, you know, Rob Liefeld has a deal, and know, this person has a imagine. deal, and that person has a deal. <laughs> Mm. Anyway, so and you have a deal, and you have a deal, and you have a deal. Look under your chair. There's a deal there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Grant Morrison looked under the chair and found a deal with uh, Universal, which is already doing Happy, which is uh, you know there's already a TV show on, right? I did not know this, Uh, um, but it's on, and um, he's also adapting Brave New World, uh, just Huckley classic for them. He finally got his own deal. He's going to develop content for streaming and broadcast. And uh, first thing he's doing is adapting his own The Invisibles, which is my favorite Vertigo comic. So, you know, this crazy mixed up yeah. book about the end of the world. Yeah. That was happening in 2012 because the Mayan calendar told us it was happening. And so, you know, in 20, uh, 1997, when this was in its heyday, that seemed like very far away. Yeah. Oh, so they, you know, away. they got, they only got it wrong by four years. Yeah, they did. They did. Yeah. They did, you know, as foretold, as the private profits. Um, and anyway, yeah. one final note on streaming. Okay. Yeah. So, we've been talking for quite a while, alluding to Disney's upcoming streaming service. They've finally come up with a name for it. I just... Drum roll, please. Plus. <laughs> Disney uh, Plus. Scintillating. Like, okay. <laughs> like when you go to the, get a feminine product, it's <laughs> like tampon plus, well, there you go. plus size and super plus. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Oh, there you go. Well, well, I'm sure they played a consultant. Right. Tens well, of thousands or hundreds of thousands of yeah. dollars. You know what though? They to add plus to are, their name. They are plus sizing, however. <laughs> yes. They have announced a couple of things. They've announced that there's going to be a uh, they're probably going to do a streaming show that stars the Vision, uh, Paul Bettany as the Vision, and Elizabeth Olsen as the Scarlet Witch. Okay. And, and more would, to the point. Well, I was going to say, I would sleep through that show, but I'd be wide awake for. And they are also going to be doing, with the same cast as in the movies, a Falcon and oh. Bucky Barnes TV show. Yeah. Okay, well, you know, sign up every and, every and fan you know girl on Earth to maybe we'll get see that Luke one. Cage move over to the Disney stream. It could happen. Well, that is the topic of a lot of speculation. Because, I mean, I don't really understand them canceling. Uh, I understand them canceling Iron Fist, 
I don't understand in canceling Luke Cage. Well, you know, if they do Heroes for Hire, since that officially right. isn't a show they've created, they could create that show without having any copyright problems on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. Take both actors, slurp them into the new show, and be like, see you, Netflix. Well, as we mentioned when we talked about Iron Fist and Luke Cage being canceled, uh, both shows on their Twitter feed had a, you haven't seen The Last of Us. Yeah, and that's I mean, the other not, thing. You're not going to do that on your Twitter feed if they're, yeah, you know, you're being canceled. we've seen The no, Last of Them, yeah. No hope. So, I mean, it's pretty... Pretty clear. I think the handwriting's on the wall that all the Netflix Disney shows are going to go bye bye, and they're going to move over to Disney Plus. Yeah, I, I would have to expect that. So, and actually, I like that. Oh, I I'm a sporadic um, streaming watcher at best, but once I do get a hold of something, I, it's nice to know it's there. <laughs> yeah, but I will say that the fragmentation of streaming. Yeah. It's not my favorite thing. And, I agree. I mean, this would be a prime candidate for me to do my usual with this, which is to say, if I really want to see it, I'll pay for one month, I'll mainline yeah, yeah. it, and then I'll cancel. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting that, we, that we're heading down this road of you got to subscribe to everything. Well, you know, I think, <laughs> I think I really like what Verve is doing, where basically Crunchyroll's parent company was like, you know what, like... Probably there are a lot of people who are only going to want to subscribe to one anime streaming service. What if we have an umbrella company and get uh, an umbrella service and get a bunch of indie streamers to come together under one slightly more expensive roof so that people who won't pay for 10 $5.95 services will pay for one $7.99 service? Right, right. And And more of that is good. Keep yeah. doing that, people. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. And We're I, not made yeah. of money. I mean, yeah, it's a, the bundling of the bundles. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> please, <laughs> please, more bundling, Bundle people. The bundles. <laughs> I mean, I, I I agree that maybe you don't always want to be part of the Netflix, Amazon, Borg, but like, there's a limit to how many different streaming services we're going to want. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I just got a Roku, so. Uh, I can actually control my streamers now. So, uh, you know, we should talk next time about some of the shows that we watch. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. We, yeah. Uh, the, Jody, the, my wife, friend of the show and composer of our theme, uh, she has a Roku. She controls it. So we look at stuff constantly. She or controls she the Roku, controls the She universe. absolutely <laughs> controls the Roku. She is, she is the tech meister in our household, believe me. Well, talking about... Yeah, so... Uh, I think we can segue at this point to PW's best books uh, of the year. Uh, Let's do it. We, you know, well, as so many publications do at this time of year, they come up with the best books. PW comes up with a list of the 100 best books. And among those books are the graphic novels, both for adults and for young readers. So they just posted on our site. You can go to publishersweekly.com slash best books. And you can also go to publishersweekly.com slash comics and you can um and we've broken out the graphic novels for you uh but i'm going to give them to you right now yeah for adults best uh, pw's best graphic novels of 2018 uh all the answers uh the graphic memoir by uh michael kupperman we interviewed him by the way and, uh, that's true that's He's right, interviewed. you can find her in our archive um a uh an interesting manga uh from drawn and quarterly bad friends by anoko a really interesting look at kind of Dysfunctionality, uh, and misogyny in Korean culture. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty powerful. Um, uh, a, a really unusual and delightful book. Yeah, it's hard to call it delightful because it's also very painful, but it's amazing. Uh, Chlorine Gardens by, uh, by Keeler Roberts. 
that manages to be funny uh, and disturbing at the same time. I mean, she's dealing with very powerful health issues. Uh, and she's also remarkably funny and amusing about it in a very distinctive and unusual way. Cool. Uh, and, uh, a, a book that's been discussed on this po- on this podcast a number of times, Upgrade Soul by Ezra Clayton Daniels. Uh, a really powerful um, science fiction graphic novel that looks. It's had a long nature. journey. It has. It has. That's what it has. has. We've been talking it about has it for years. Started as an app, as a digital app, moved to print uh, from Lionforge. Um, <clears throat> but really, a powerful book, and there are multiple interviews of both uh, Heidi's interviewed him, and then I interviewed him on PW on a separate podcast that PW had. And uh, last, but absolutely not least, uh, one of the books that I've all along, it's one of the best, some of the best work we've seen today, Young Francis by Hartley Lynn. Um, you know, uh, a beautiful, an amazing look at the friendship between two, two women. But, you know, that doesn't even begin to describe the richness, the humor, uh, and just the ability to recreate human relationships. Uh, uh, that this book uh, handles, and the drawing is like a dream. So, these are the adult, uh, the five adult graphic novels. Now, our colleagues over in um, the PW Kids Department also include a number of graphic novels in their middle grade and young adult lineup. So, uh, among their young adult graphic novels, On a Sunbeam by Tilly Walden, which I have not read, but is supposedly really a, a, an incredibly rich uh, and well done science fiction tale. Uh, a book that's getting an enormous amount of attention, Hey Kiddo, by uh, yes, I've uh, read that. Jared, that book is uh, amazing. Karaska. Yes, I mean it's it's designed so that it's readable both by you know young adult readers and also adults. It's equally powerful for yeah. both. A powerful memoir of a, a, a spectacularly dysfunctional childhood. Um, next, The Prince and the Dressmaker by Jin Wang. Um, very cute. Yes, it's very cute, very delightful, beautifully illustrated. Just a great story. Uh, and uh, in the middle grade category, um, the, uh, really, I guess one of the the first, I think this is her first book, but we'll find out, Sanity and Tallulah by Molly Brooks, uh, middle grade graphic novels. And I think we've all, you know Molly, don't you? Yeah, yeah I mean, this course, is a, yeah. her kind of her big breakthrough. She's done a wonderful mini comics. And so now she's really uh, broken to the big time in a big way. Right. Uh, a couple things I just want to throw in quickly. Uh, this weekend is Comic Arts Brooklyn. Oh, yes. Uh, you know, at Pratt Institute. Yes. Uh, second year there. Uh, this wraps up. Well, there's Anime Fest next weekend. Yeah, that's right. It's one not... more. <laughs> it ain't over yet, folks. It's never yeah. over. It's, it's, it's Anime NYC. Yeah. It's yeah. never over. I will be at Anime NYC next weekend. Will you, Calvin? Yes, I will. And yeah. I will be at CAM. Yeah, I will be at CAM as well. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so we're there. And uh, also, real quickly, uh, Calvin, you and I talked about this off air. Um, but, you know, I know it's a competitor, but I will say, uh, LJ, SLJ, former. Oh, yes, that's former, true. Former, yeah. yeah. uh, stable mates of Publishers yeah. Weekly. So, you know, kind of yeah. palsy wowsy. But uh, anyway, they do this thing called Library Con, which is an on, a lot of things are called Library Con, but this is an all virtual, all online. And, uh, you know, I did a very brief thing, uh, for Lion Forge, cause, uh, as we, we talked about them earlier, they own my site, The Beat. Um, and, uh, it was very cool. Yeah. Uh, it was a very cool thing. And they have like, some great... Well, talk. what did you do? They talk, well, my cool thing wasn't that cool. It was because I didn't know how to do it. Okay? If you watch stuff, they're all archived. But they have talks with uh, speeches by yeah. Mariko Tamaki, um, Justin Laval, 
Margaret, Margaret Stahl. They have a panel on how to put on a Comic-Con at your library. And, you know, there was like dozens of librarians there. Yeah. Uh, Marvel did a talk with Sana Amanat. I mean, that's oh, never good. happened before. And this is all online, it's right? It's all online. It's I, all... Have, I actually have a couple years ago. I was involved in it a few years ago, but not for comics. It was mm-hmm. really about digital devices mm-hmm. when I was writing about that constantly. Uh, right. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, it's a really cool event. And it is all archived. If you just search for SLJ Library, yeah. it'll come up. So, yeah. oh, cool. All right. So, Calvin, is it that time again? I think it is. It is now time for the briefs. So, um, so we've heard a lot about, you know, the magic of Netflix money. And all the things they that they have unspecified something or other anime things coming up. Well, they've certainly finally dropped that announcement. So this is not a drill, people. There's a Pacific Rim anime coming up. What? Yes. Sadly, it appears that the main characters will not be any of the characters we already know and love, but that's okay. The world building's super fun, and I'm sure they'll manage to get those wacky mad scientists in there somehow. I'm sure they'll figure that. And but there'll also be an altered carbon uh, anime. Um, wow, that pro- that that is the little property that could. Not to mention um, a adaptation of. Yasuke, I'm sorry, that's not the one, that's an adaptation. Trace, an adaptation of a Philippine manga mm-hmm. about sort of a dark urban fantasy or all kinds of Philippine magical creatures are like naturally part of the criminal underworld. Yeah. Sounds very interesting and something I am very much interested in seeing. And also, Yasuko, a anime about the Real historical uh, Japanese samurai of African descent who worked for Oda Nobunaga. Only, of course, it'll be a wacky anime plot. And so that's a lot of stuff to look forward to from Netflix. We look forward to it, too. And uh, things that I, I admit I am not looking forward to. Our My Hero Academia has been licensed for live-action movie rights by Legendary. Uh, Now, I really hope that this will not be yet another badly thought-out movie about a manga starring a bunch of white people. (laughs) Yeah. Because those never end well. There's been, like, zero examples of that ending well. It just doesn't. I don't know why people keep spending money on it. Maybe Legendary won't do that. Legendary, don't do that. Yeah, well, it, every, all eyes are on you, Legendary. All eyes are it's on you. It's not that hard. Um, there you go. Just set it in Japan. Use Asian <laughs> actors. Yes, it's no not complicated. It's no whitewashing. It's just not that you know, hard. I don't understand. People in Asia watch movies like it's a huge market for movies i understand yeah. and they're all their movie star asian people and guess oh, what geez. we watch lots of asian movies oh, here yes people love i mean <laughs> people love these japanese these asian products because they are japanese yeah I because mean, they are asian i mean people so people who like asian anime actors. like like it as anime as a japanese product they they aren't thinking you know, this anime I love, it would be so much better if it were American. Yeah. I, I they, they're not doing that. This. I don't understand it. So, so I mean, just just don't do that, people. Just don't screw it up. 
Anyway. But speaking of, of products that are great just as they are, here is a wonderful success story out of Japan. Uh, Rene Hoshino is a Cameroon-born um, Japanese, well, African-Japanese comic artist who um, he was adopted at age five by his father's, his mother's second husband, and who was Japanese, and then he moved to Japan. And so now he has written, after a, a long career doing all kinds of other things, a uh, smash viral hit manga, uh, which trans the title which translates as the result of an African the result of an African boy growing up in Japan, yeah. uh, which is all about his immigrant experience as a little kid growing up in Japan, where you know he would be given he would ask for the skin color crayon, and it would be the wrong color. And, you know, being asked things about, like, is that what your house is like? When, you know, seeing, when his, his friends saw a video of, like, African tribesmen in the bush. So, uh, it sounds like it's a very charming comic. Uh, Calvin, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, no, I just, uh, excuse me. <coughs> they got all choked up. Yeah, yeah, apparently. Uh, you know what? I just was, uh, I just thought it was overwhelmingly charming. I mean, there's a little a video clip in the article of him, you know, saying, uh, Konnichiwa. And, uh, but he talks a little bit about his life, about being able to speak Japanese fluently. Um, he's he there since age five. He seems to be a kid who has navigated, uh, uh, being different, uh, in maybe the most extreme way. I mean, there, there's not too many countries as, um, uh, you know, homogeneous as Japan society. So, uh, he's, he seems to have done it and come out the other end seeming fairly like well adjusted. So it's very charming. But it did also bring to me, uh, mind, uh, Felipe Smith, mm-hmm. who's one of the few Americans, anybody, I mean, Felipe is kind of Af- uh, African American Brazilian, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and he went to Japan, worked as a manga artist, one of the few Americans who's been able to do yeah. that, published the book, People True. Um, and, and he's a fan, I'm a fan of his. So he, Felipe simply came to mind as someone who yeah. had to navigate, um, similar things, uh, you know, some similar things, probably obviously not to this because he went to Japan as, as a grown adult, man. Yeah. He didn't have to really navigate it. But anyway, it's a very charming story, um, uh, involving comics and manga. So there. Yeah. And it's, it's proof that viral hit can be, viral hits can be used for the betterment of mankind instead of for <laughs> yes, evil. There you go. It can happen. It can happen. And uh, one more thing, listeners. This is a little servicey, but hey, we live to be servicey. Right now, Kadansha is having a huge sale of all their digital first manga on pretty much every platform that they sell digital first manga on. I myself picked up the uh, last two books so far of Hozuki's Cool Headedness. The manga I unsuccessfully lobbied to have the best of last year, <laughs> but it's awesome, people. You should read it and many, many other manga if you're not interested in that one. And on that note, I think we can say we're done for this week, but there will be more to come. <laughs>